Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. During the global pandemic, we've heard many stories from people who are leading, growing, and being as people of God. Ing Podcast is excited to be part of a series of practical resources created for pastors as they navigate the impacts and realities of COVID-19. We're calling it What Now? Practical Tools for the Post-COVID Church. Well, we don't have a better model than Jesus. And Jesus, I think, did walk that space between autocratic and undefined, uh, clearly a very self-defined and connected leader, connected to God, uh, first and foremost, but connected to others, secondly. During this podcast mini-series, we'll sit down with the creators and contributors who made this series happen, thinking creatively about how faith leaders can nurture their congregations during this unique time. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to Ing Podcast. We are glad that you're journeying with us on this uh, adventure through this mini-series this summer, um, exploring tools for the uh, post-COVID church. It seems a little interesting that that title, uh, perhaps, that we are still in many places right in the middle of COVID-19 global pandemic. But um, as we, as people of faith, uh, navigate that space, uh, Mental Media has published this um group of resources, and we have been very fortunate to be able to sit down with some of those folks. Uh, Today, I'm joined by David Brubaker. He is the Dean of the School of Social Sciences and Professions at Eastern Mennonite University, and I'm really happy to have him with us here today. Uh, David, thank you so much for being here. Um, I wonder if you would take a minute or two to introduce yourself for those who may not know you. Thanks, Ben. A privilege to be part of this series. So I joined the conflict transformation field in 1986, working with Mennonite Conciliation Service. Okay. So I've been doing mediation and consulting for the last 35 years. I've seen a lot of changes in the society and the church over that time. Uh, Perhaps more importantly, my spouse and I have two sons, uh, now 24 and 28, and uh, a grandson uh, who is two and a half. So we've really enjoyed this new phase of our lives. That's exciting. And, uh, and you were one of the courageous folks who said yes when, um, when asked if you would contribute to this series uh, through Menno Media. I'm aware that you've had a number of different uh, roles in this series uh, in how it has come together, but uh, I'm wondering if you can talk at least initially about how you were connected with this, this uh, fascinating project. Sure. Joe Hackman from Mental Media had reached out to me and a couple of other colleagues. He noted that I had been involved in publishing a book uh, that is titled When the Center Does Not Hold, Leading in an Age of Polarization. Mm. And I think Joe believed that bringing that piece into this conversation about the post-COVID church would be a helpful contribution. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah, polarization. There have been folks along the way who have suggested that polarization is a fairly recent phenomenon and that perhaps a shift in in presidential administrations would put an end to it. But I think, uh, if anything, the global pandemic has reminded us that polarization continues and is uh, a very real part of our our world, regardless of who is in office. (laughs) Absolutely. It has been growing in this country for about the last 40 years. There are various reasons for that. And this is at least the third historical epoch in the U.S. when we've had significant society-wide polarization. The Civil War, of course, in the 19th century being the most dramatic, but certainly not the only time. 
Well, you were asked to to touch on that navigating polarization in uh, this series. So, um, can you give us just a brief snapshot into what you have offered for those who have not read what you have have contributed? So first, just a definition of polarization, and then I'll attempt to flesh it out a bit. Yeah. It refers to the process by which people in a social group increasingly come to hold opinions at the more extreme ends of a spectrum, while those in the middle or the moderate center tend to dwindle. Mm. So what it simply means is we tend to go to the ends, to to our various sides. Yeah. And that process... Uh, can be accelerated by societal stresses, uh, such as uh, economic depression uh, or racial strife. But it seems in the U.S. that one of the major reasons uh, for this recent round of polarization has been the growing gap between the rich and the poor Mm. uh, for the last 40 years, and a feeling by many who used to be part of the middle class that they are being taken advantage of, they're falling out of that middle class into a more desperate strait. And when people are are in that position, they they look for reasons or answers. Why yeah. is this happening to me? Uh, and if someone provides those answers, and often it's done through scapegoating particular groups, uh, if someone provides those answers, they tend to respond to that. Mm. So that's why we sometimes look at political leaders and assume, oh, they must be causing our polarization. Uh, or uh, media figures, for example, they certainly can make it worse, yeah. but those underlying dynamics were already present. So what uh, then does a, a global pandemic like what we are experiencing, what does that do to that, um, that tension? Uh, are, are you realizing that a, a something like this of a global nature uh, becomes a, a catalyst to make that polarization even greater? Yes. So the second reality is that in a polarized environment, anything that comes into that environment tends to become polarized. Mm. So even things as relatively innocuous as wearing a mask or getting a vaccine, which in the 1950s were simply not an issue. My parents uh, made sure that all of their children were vaccinated against the polio virus, for example, yeah. and it just was not a major debate. It is now because these things are coming into a polarized environment. So it's really not the fault of the pandemic per se, but the, re- the combination of the pandemic and polarization has led to simply another example of this is what happens when we're polarized. Mm. I have noticed along this, this journey, this mini-series with uh, our guests, and also really in the last year of Ing Podcast, that we're recognizing very uh, gradually, I guess, along the way, that even, even in our churches, where we often assume we're generally of one mind because we've chosen a specific church that navigating the pandemic has been has been very different internally in our congregations um uh, and i think about our own congregation my own church here we have folks who are thrilled to be back in the building um we have folks who are still uh meeting with us via zoom because they don't feel like we are ready to be back in the building and we have folks who have expressed some disappointment that um we're back in the building, but we're requiring masks, for instance. So even in a church that is, um, you know, we're seen as, as fairly progressive, I guess, as far as Mennonite churches go, um, we have a wide spectrum of how we are, are navigating this moment. We are experiencing more polarization, perhaps, than we assume about ourselves, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is quite something, I think, to uh, just pause enough to recognize, uh, to see that um, it's not just 
us and the more conservative Mennonite church over the mountain. But, but even within ourselves, there is some, some polarization. So the other reality I'd want to address is that in a polarized environment, and that means when an entire society has polarized, every social system within that environment will be impacted. Mm. So families will be impacted. Communities will be impacted. Congregations absolutely will be impacted. Uh, and our local school boards, uh, where we've had a recent meeting that went five minutes and they had to shut it down because people were so uncooperative. Yeah. So it's not the fault, again, of any of those individual institutions, those social structures, but because the broader society is polarized, it will impact all of them. Mm. So then we have a choice. How will we as a local congregation, for example, how will we as a family respond to it? And that's where I think the choices that leaders make are particularly important. So are leaders able to speak their own truth, to be clear about their own beliefs and why they hold them, but also to welcome others mm. to speak their truth and to respect the dignity of every human being as a beloved child of God, even those with whom we profoundly disagree. Mm. Yeah, in a, in a moment in time where it, it feels like we don't offer very much permission to do that in any space, um, is there? Are, do you have some practical tools for how we might um, have that posture in our churches? So one of my mentors 35 years ago was Speed Lease, who was the senior consultant for the Alban Institute. And I did a training with him uh, back in 1989, read a lot of his materials. He found something that I think is really important because he, uh, he consulted with hundreds of congregations and I've consulted with perhaps 50 over the years, as well as other organizations. But what uh, Speed found was that there were two styles of leadership that got pastor leaders in deep trouble. And the first he called autocratic. When a pastor would say, it's my way or the highway, you're yeah. either for me or you're against me. You yeah. get on board or you get out of the way. Inevitably, that split a congregation because some would side with the autocrat and uh, many would side against usually him. But at the same time, there was a second style that got an equal number of pastors in deep trouble. And I would describe it as undefined. They were unable to take a stand. They mm -hmm. were unable to be clear about their own beliefs. People experienced that as manipulative because they knew that the pastor must have an opinion, but that person was not free in sharing it, mm -hmm. was not forthcoming or transparent about who they were and what they believed. And so people would tend to, again, choose sides, some defending the undefined minister and others uh, attacking him or her. So the point is, somewhere between those two extremes is a healthy leadership style, yeah. which in family systems theory, we would call self-defined, where we are clear about who we are and what we believe. But again, we're equally welcoming of that from others. So it's about defining oneself, but staying connected, mm. refusing to break relationships with those with whom we disagree. I think that that latter part there, refusing to break relationships is so key. I think we assume in this current uh, social moment that we we send out our virtue signals and that defines who we are in relationship with then, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I claim whether or not I'm for or against, uh, you know, fracking, for instance, and then and that mm -hmm. clarifies who who is in my circle of people. If you are for fracking and I'm against it, then we cannot be in relationship. Um, it it seems like a really challenging thing then to to live amid those those disagreements. And I don't hear you saying that we 
we act as if those disagreements are not there. Um, can you talk a little bit about about claiming something as your your own um, uh, without just sort of following a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy to hold the, <laughs> the whole together? Well, clearly, we don't need to self-define on every issue that comes into social discourse. Yeah. There are some things that we care deeply about, and I think it's appropriate to self-define and other things that uh, we may choose not to. But you know, there are two or three issues that that I care deeply about because of my own life experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one of those is public health. I, I really do believe that protecting the health of the most vulnerable in our society, whether that's children or the elderly um, or, or those who are immunocompromised in the current environment, that, that that's an obligation that we all have. Mm -hmm. So I have felt free to talk with others and post about the importance of protecting public health. But quite frankly, uh, several doctor friends, including my own sister, a medical doctor, have more credibility when they address that than I do yeah. because uh, my doctorate is in sociology, not medicine. Uh, and so I, I have felt free as well to share their thoughts mm. because I, I think those would be more convincing. Um, but there are other issues that I, I'm interested in but have chosen not to self-define as clearly. And, and that's okay. So when we make those choices, we are making them out of our own values and hopefully in communication with others that we trust and fellowship with. Mm. So the discernment takes place not just at the individual level, but at a communal level. Do you listen to this podcast for inspiration on issues like racism, social justice, leadership, and Christian living? Then the Herald Press E3 Book Club is for you. Be the first to read 12 of our hand-picked releases throughout the year books relevant to you in your ministry, books to equip you as a leader. Use code ING, that's I-N-G, to subscribe to E3 and get a special rate just for our podcast listeners. Visit e3bookclub.com and subscribe today. I can hear uh, the voices in my own head and probably in our listening audience saying things like, well, aren't there times where we do need to draw a line and say, you know, we are firm here. We cannot tolerate a belief that might suggest about something like public health uh, otherwise. And, and how do you respond to those kinds of uh, comments? The answer is yes. So I have a cousin lives in another state uh, who unfortunately got pulled into QAnon belief system mm. and was posting things uh, from that perspective that were simply profoundly untrue and, and really harmful. And I asked him on two occasions to not do so, at least uh, on, on my Facebook page, and he was unable to, um, to stop mm. doing that because it felt so important to him. And so... Um, for the first time, I unfriended a, a family member whom wow. I love, yeah. but whose beliefs I thought could be quite harmful to to some of those vulnerable groups that I was talking about earlier. And at that point, I think we have to say, no, that's not acceptable. Yeah. For the sake of the, the health of the whole, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that gets really challenging, um, especially in faith communities. But, uh, but I... But I appreciate this call that you're offering to continue to navigate that relationally. Uh, as you've navigated this uh, pandemic, as someone who's connected with an academic community and faith communities as well, um, 
Have you been seeing signs of hope amid this uh, ongoing polarization? I often tell people that uh, the greatest hope that I experience is when I interact with those who are uh, 40 and under. Hmm. So the millennial generation and the Gen Zers, they're not particularly, most of them, there's exceptions, but most of them are not particularly interested in the political polarization hmm. that those of us who are uh, 40 and above seem to be experiencing. Uh, they really are deeply concerned about several core issues. And one of those, as you might imagine, is creation care, concern for the environment that they're going to inherit. Uh, and another is, is racial justice and racial reconciliation. And when, when I interact with the millennials and the Gen Zers, I think if we can just make it another 10 years, we're going to be just fine. I think that's wonderful. And um, especially for institutions like churches that uh, that may not know what a future looks like to, to just say, you know, have enough patience to let the next wave of leaders um, <laughs> grab the reins. As far as uh, our individual leaders who, who you talked about, these two dangerous poles of ways of leading, uh, as they try and find their right sort of middle space to, to walk, do you have wisdom to offer them as uh, uh, amid this polarization as well? Well, we don't have a better model than Jesus. And Jesus, I think, did walk that space between autocratic and undefined. Mm. Uh, clearly a very self-defined and connected leader, connected to God, uh, first and foremost, but connected to others, secondly. One thing that struck me about Jesus was he seemed to have enormous compassion for people uh, who, who he saw as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. But he really held leaders accountable when they were manipulating and abusing the trust of the people. So Jesus' harshest criticism was always reserved for those in leadership roles, uh, including King Herod, whom he called the fox, but, but also those in religious leadership roles. Not because they were inherently bad people, but because they were using their positions to, to harm others rather than to, to help them and empower them. So I, I think we have a similar obligation mm. to, to show deep compassion to those who, for example, have been misled through the recent pandemic um, because they didn't set out to be misled. They were misled deliberately by uh, some in leadership roles. Uh, and those folks have to be held accountable. Mm. And it's complex how we do that, but uh, without losing compassion for those who were harassed and helpless. I think we're, we're learning during the pandemic that we're all navigating um, especially exiting the pandemic, whenever that may take place for different folks, we're exiting at a different speed. We're all making different decisions about how long to keep our masks on or um, when we return to indoor gatherings, for instance. Um, can you say something a little bit about navigating polarization, broadly speaking, that about the time that it sometimes requires to be in relationship with people who are at different different places? So John Paul Lederach, who was one of the founders of the conflict transformation movement uh, in this country and particularly among Mennonites, used to say that however long it took us to get into the situation, that's how long it's going to take us to get out of it. <laughs> so to, again, to be blunt, it took us 40 years to, to get to this level of uh, political polarization since mm. 1980. And it will probably take us a couple generations, 40 more years to get completely out of it, even though, as you heard me say, I'm very hopeful about the next two generations. 
one of the most important things that we could do would be to reduce the huge gap and growing gap between the rich and the poor mm. so that there are less opportunities for grievance narratives to to take hold and for for people to take sides as has happened over the the last couple decades another thing that we need to do those of us who are white and christian which i am is to recognize that part of what's going on is a response to identity threat mm. or in this particular case status threat people who are feeling that they are losing influence because uh, to be white and to be christian will probably both be uh, minority status in the coming decades uh, some have appealed to that as a way of generating grievance uh, I think we should welcome it as a recognition that the kingdom of God is much more diverse than we've ever imagined. Yeah, it strikes me that uh, the church in general is uh, fearful of change, which is sort of ironic for resurrection people, right? We should believe that <laughs> that things need to die in order for new life to form, um, but we are so resistant to navigating that space, right? Because it does come with pain as well, and um, uh, and. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I I appreciate that you uh, that you invited us to turn to Jesus as the example for for how we might navigate polarized times because um, he was not he was not uh, in a vacuum without polarization either. <laughs> um, yeah, the the pastor of uh, my congregation, Parkview Mennonite Church, uh, preached a wonderful sermon a couple of years ago on the context in which Jesus came where there, the polarization, the societal-level polarization, was at least as extreme and probably much more so than what we're living right now in 2021 in the U.S. Uh, and you had those that had withdrawn from society, like the Essenes, that was their response, and those who were collaborating with the Romans, like the Sadducees, and those who were fighting against the Romans, the Zealots, uh, and those who were trying to lead religiously pure lives, the, the Pharisees. I mean, History uh, may not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. <laughs> My heart has um, been broken uh, in in recent years watching what leaders have gone through. Mm. Because, as I said earlier, if you are leading in any of those subsystems, a, a community, a congregation, a school district, you are going to be deeply impacted by the polarized reality in the broader society. Yeah. And people, without realizing what they're doing, are are attacking local leaders uh, with levels of viciousness that I don't recall from when I started work in this field 35 years ago. They are acting out uh, that broader societal polarization, yeah. and they are responding to messages that they hear in the media, for example, and in some cases calling them to go to school board meetings. But it's just tragic. What um, I, I've talked with pastors and other leaders who, through tears, describe the experience of being in leadership in a polarized environment yes so we can give all of the advice that we want to give to those leaders but i think most of all they deserve our support and compassion well said i think that's a uh, a powerful way to conclude our conversation david once again thank you so much for um for this offering really for uh, offering some of what you bring to this um ongoing challenge in our world and for helping us to navigate the ongoing polarization as well. Um, I'm deeply, deeply grateful for you and the other authors who've contributed. And, and thank you for being here today on Inc. Podcast. Thank you, Ben. It was a complete honor. 
friends, we encourage you to check out these resources from Menno Media and um, please continue the journey with us. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support Ing Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. We'd like to thank the Showalter Foundation of North Newton, Kansas, whose generous funding has helped make What Now resources possible. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on Ing Podcast? Let us know by emailing theing at menomedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Today's show was produced by me, Ben Weidman. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.